Welcome to Get Big Out Loud Radio, where we explore living the complex, funny, and beautiful ride of life with me, Carrie Knutson, and Dr. Pat on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Are your thoughts keeping you small? Are you ready to get big? I will offer you ideas to transform what you are thinking into conscious action. Explore what is keeping you small and how to shift your behaviors in order to get big. Learn what is possible for you. Get ready to get big and live life out loud starting now. Hey, everybody, I'm Dr. Pat, and I am here with the amazing host of Get Big Out Loud. Yeah, with Carrie. Living the complex, funny, and beautiful ride of life. Today, what now? Wait till you hear what this show's about. First of all, you should know who Carrie is, right? Not just the host of this fabulous show, but she is a world-renowned speaker. She is a school counselor, storyteller, mother, you know, rap artist, Benny, uh, and somebody that is out in the world making a difference. She's an expert in the field of emotional intelligence, also known as EQ and human development. So when we talk about Carrie coming to the show today and talking about let's get off the couch and bring it to the people, when we're talking with her about her extensive experience and what it means to be in front of the public, you know, how to look at what we say and how we say it and how to inspire people to be so much more than what they think they are. We're talking about transformative change. We're talking about process. We're talking about finding what is inside each of us that inspires us. But today, Carrie is bringing this conversation. What now? Ideas for living right side up in a world that feels upside down. Get ready for this show, everyone. Carrie, it's great to have you. Welcome, welcome. It's so good to connect with you today. Thanks for that wonderful introduction, Dr. Pat. I love everything that you said and covered and really especially the part about how can we inspire people to live their best lives, especially right now in today's world. With, with everything that we're dealing with, how can we show up big? And I love that this idea for this show, Get Big Out Loud, we need that more than ever right now. Look, you and I did not know we'd be talking today. We did not know um, that we'd be talking about how to figure out right side up in what seems to be an upside down world. Um, and yet, I want to kick this off with a little story. Now, many people are now seeing clips in the Capitol, but now the clip that's circulating is of a Capitol Police officer, um, a black man, Capitol Police officer. And people were trying to make sense of this clip. But I think this is going to talk to what we're talking about today. So they're watching the clip and the police officers runs up the stairs and he stops and he turns and he faces the crowd and he says something, hand on the gun, blah, 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 something stops them though. He stops them. Then he runs up again to another flight of stairs and he stops. This is like one man, right? Never, never drew his gun, hand on his gun stops them and they stopped they literally stopped right like 20 feet away from him but they stopped 
then he runs them down some other strange corridor mm-hmm. and pivots and they follow him and they stop and before he made that pivot he was literally 10 feet or so away from the senate doors and when we saw the clips people were asking like many people thought he was having them follow him into the place but what he was doing was stalling and buying time he is my hero of the day mm-hmm. mr mm-hmm. goodman i think he is police officer goodman you know somebody that was at ground zero somebody that served and what he did is he put his life on the line and he literally took them like followed the leader down the wrong hallway and I wanted to start this show out with that story because in the world we're living in and we think about what kind of events led to collective trauma and we think about navigating life in the pandemic and we think about engaging in conversations like you're doing on LGBTQ racism, black life movement. We have to take a moment to look at the people that are rising up. And I wanted to start with that story because I know you've got a lot to talk about today. Yes, I love that you start with that story because I think that's a moment too of like, how do you show up in moments when you're overwhelmed and fearful with courage? And then how do you even have the wherewithal to pivot in order to make a plan and not just respond? Um, and I, too, when I saw that clip, I thought most people would just get your gun out and be like, stop right out. Like the idea of, violence begetting violence or um inciting more like how to how did he physically command himself and then think in that moment to show up with such courage and i agree he is definitely a hero um of of this moment for for and that people saw his actions he never expected anyone to see that video he never expected us to be talking about him today i'm sure of that and It's interesting that you brought him up because I, I mean, his video made me think about the idea of individual people stepping up in big moments, right? And all I feel like has happened since the pandemic are big, big moments and moments where we are experiencing not only individual trauma, but collective trauma. So collective trauma is like things that we go through together. <laughs> and the individual trauma, individual trauma is how we take those things, but also things that are going on in our personal lives right? That don't even come, that are minuscule to other people, but are life, you know, affecting for us. And so I think a lot of people have had to feel like is how can, how do I show up for myself? Right? How do I show up for now my community, my family and the world when, when faced with crisis, right? And I think it's such a great topic to explore, especially with you. You're so insightful. Well, I mean, today we had a list of things we were going to address and we're still going to address them. But when you first looked at doing this episode, we weren't where we are today, right? Um, From where you sit and looking at emotional intelligence and looking at the world, um, there are many, many conversations that we can have. Uh, It it doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the conversations is what do we do with collective trauma? And what are the events that have led up to this? You sure. know, has this been like the frog in the, in the cold water and you slowly turn it up 
or has this been more like ignition? What is your sense of it? Well, I think if you look back to the start of March 2020 with the pandemic, that and I don't think necessarily it's the frog in the heated up water because I think it's like, if you know that story, everyone, the idea is that um, the, if you put a frog in water and slowly increase the heat, it doesn't hop out because it doesn't realize till too late that it's boiling. It just comes over time. I do think that these traumas we've experienced, like in what I can think of like right now, when you think of pandemic and just living your life in the pandemic since March, and then the national conversation we've been having on racism um, and the Black Lives Matter movement since all the high profile murders have happened and the protests, that's another collective trauma that we're living through and exploring. And then um, in many parts of the country, there were wildfires that caused massive damage and evacuations for people. And if you weren't in a fire zone, but still saw that, that can be part of collective trauma and fear and overwhelm and sadness for humanity and our environment. Um, and then the election itself, like just processing the election, no matter what kind of election cycle it is, that's always stressful. This one was especially so. so. And now to top it off, the physical attack on the Capitol, but also the political attack on our democracy. Yeah. So if you think like, you think your stress was high, you just give me one of those things, right? And then if you, that's collective trauma. And I'd say those are the big things we've been experiencing collectively. Then if you add your individual life, your responsibilities, your struggles, your, your losses, right? The things that didn't happen this year, the struggles that you faced, those are the, the personal trauma, right? That we've experienced, right? So you put those things collective to, together, collective and individual, and it's a lot. And I wouldn't say it's like a slow heat. I'd say like it's fireworks. What's happening now? This is happening now. This is happening. It's and it feels like any one of these things would be enough to turn us upside down. Let alone like five or six of them, right? Then our own individual lives on top of it. And the reason I want to talk about individual too is like you cannot discount your own personal concerns right now. And a lot of people will tend to do this. Well, how can I be sad about um, not having my birthday party when someone's house burned down, right? How can I be upset about um, changes in my job responsibilities when at least I still have a job, right? Like, so we, we dim diminish our personal experiences and we tend to compare those a lot. And there's a lot to compare to, right? How can you... How can you say you're sad about something when it feels like the world's on fire? But I do still think we, we have to honor ourselves and understand our own individual trauma in relation to collective trauma so that we can move forward in healthy, positive, and transparent ways. Because a lot of this, when we don't talk about it, goes into the category of denial um, and diminishment which always I feel like comes back, but in another way. So I feel like don't, don't have to, don't save yourself the trouble of redoing it. And, and sh let's show up in, in different ways for ourselves so we can show up in different ways in our community. So I wanna talk to you in a little bit about how to process trauma and what goes into that. But that's yeah. what I think to your, to your question, what are we, what is the trauma? Has it been the slow burn or a lot of fireworks? And then do we get to have individual trauma as well. 
You know, it's interesting. I, I have gotten a number of emails so far uh, in the past couple of days from some of my family, some of the relatives. I have nieces, nephews, all part of an interracial community, all married into because of the way we were raised. We were not raised with color skin profiling. You know, we grew up in communities where as white girls, we were the minority, especially in my sister's community. Um, and so with thinking about this and, and one of the way that some, some folks are processing, especially some of the younger folks, um, are looking at history and trying to understand history and trying to understand, you know, the angst of things and for how many generations have things been building and, and I was talking with someone over the weekend and she asked the question, is this who we really are? She says, we hear on television that this is not who we really are, but it, it seems like this is who we really are today. Uh, and does it pay for us to not face that? And what she was saying is, if we don't see that this is who we are, and what she's saying is not that we're mean, not that they bad people did. She says, we're a country divided. You know, we're a country divided on different values. And if we don't have a conversation to find our commonality, then how do we start to heal the wounds, right? Well, and you bring up such a good point. Like, who is controlling the narrative, though, right? Like, <laughs> if you hear the same thing over and over, like, we're a country divided, we can't get it together, we can't communicate. But at the same time, I'm looking at my neighbors and friends and people in our community who think differently from me, but we're able to figure it yeah. out. I have to wonder, like, who is controlling the narrative? And at what point do we decide that we are going to control that or or at least get our news from a few different sources, right? Or at least have start to collectively talk about things in a different way. And really what I find that most media outlets are doing in some way is diminishing the idea of hope and that we can get through this. And I feel like Americans, if, one, if there's one thing we are, it's, it's, it's can do, right? It's figured out. And I wanna try to raise up the voice of like, we have to figure this out. It's important to figure this out. And we have to understand the difference between discussion and debate, right? And we have to understand the idea be, behind like how we got here, but we can't have one news source telling us everything. And I feel like that's when we have to decide for ourselves. Like, you know, if someone ever said to you, Dr. Pat, has anyone ever said to you, you can't do that, you're a whatever. Yeah. 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 And that's kind of what I keep thinking about people like, we can't come together, we're a side, it's society divided. Like in most places, people don't feel that way or don't want to be that way. That isn't the outcome. But if we're told enough, like we can't get it together, we're a country divided, we'll never figure this out. That kind of plays into our subconscious thinking. And I think the messaging has to be like, we are stronger together, we are better together. We have got to figure this out together. And, and there's a reason we have a democracy, which is involved in debate and difference and otherness, but there's not, I think the debate then on, destruction and and domestic terrorism and links to racism and those hard conversations we have to have but kind of dilute it and, and try to be like now we're against each other and said hey we have to find a way to talk about white privilege and we have to find a talk about racism and how many people don't even understand why the confederate flag is offensive 
like, but we have to be able to talk to those people who don't know and say, here's why a noose outside the Capitol from a bunch of white people attacking the Capitol is a sign against black people meant to, meant to scare and disparage them. And here's why the Confederate flag. So those kind of conversations we have to have, because honestly, some people don't understand, right? So I think kind of the blanket statements are meant to distract us from the hard, yeah. useful conversations we have. And I always say, just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's not good. I agree with you. Uh, one of the interesting, or I find most interesting conversations I've had, had to do with the t-shirt that was worn. And it just goes to show you that I've been around for a few years, right? So when I see a t-shirt about Auschwitz, I know what it is. Mm -hmm. Not many people knew, especially younger people, right? Because we dropped that ball in history. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do talk about it to a point in certain, let's go to school and learn some history, but not to the devastation of what that was. But now comes a t-shirt and the question gets asked, what is Auschwitz? Mm -hmm. and, and I said, Google it. You're gonna have to Google it. I'm not gonna tell you what it is. You saw the shirt, get online and Google it. You know, look at the museum in New York survivors of that camp and camps like it look it up mm -hmm. and a couple hours later have another conversation that can't be real i'm like yeah like no they said no that mm -hmm. did that really happen like that yes it did and so you're right about this we have to have a conversation about it um i got can another I message to, can i speak one yeah thing? sure sure the, what you're speaking to me is so much of like how denial reinforces our behavior. So when we say that couldn't have happened, or if I didn't know about it, it didn't exist, right? Or waiting to be spoon-fed information from our news source of choice, right? Instead of saying like, I got to learn history. I've got to look up things, read about things. What are primary source documents? How can I learn from different viewpoints and people? But to, what you just said is such a perfect example of what makes us weak-minded when we just say, well, if I don't know about it, then it must not be important. Or it didn't exist, right? And that kind of thing, like what what is happening is truly happening, right? Like we're we're witnessing it on major <laughs> different platforms, but the act of denial is a huge thing that, that we have a problem that we have to work on in this country, that people are suffering, that what happened was wrong in terms of like how we solve our problems. That denial piece is an interesting and and very important thing to bring up because just what you said and we have to get out of our bubble of if i didn't know about it or if it doesn't affect me like if you think about experiences when people like say well i have a gay friend and i'm nice to them so i must be understand yeah. gay rights right i must understand what it's like to be a gay person because my gay friend we're friends but i have a black friend and we're friends. i mean i under like we kind of excuse ourselves from the conversation when we really can't know anything about that person's life right but again we're in denial about it it feels safer and it's really we have to bolster up something in ourselves to have enough confidence to be like i don't know i don't understand i want to learn i i want to be engaged right and to do that we have to not just be the recipient of like random information we have to go out and get it right we have to to put ourselves out there to get it and to be engaged outwardly instead of just expecting everything to come in 
You know, it's interesting. I, I want to bring something up that uh, that was also a touchstone for me this weekend and in conversations, you know, back and forth. And one of the things I remembered was growing up and being part of the various movements, whether it was Stop the War in Vietnam movement, whatever it was, whether it was, oh, you did not just do that down in the West Village in that march and then march after march after march. It was a time of marching, right? <laughs> right. All you got to do is go back and look at the history in the 60s and 70s. And you could see that it didn't take much for people to gather and march. Were they all peaceful? No. Um, how did students at Kent, how did students at Kent get shot? How did that happen? Was it all peaceful? No. But I remember one thing, and I'd like for you to talk about this a little bit, because when I talk to my friends and family of color, they are very quick to remind me, how is this different, Auntie? How is this different than the Black Panther movement and the arrests that were made simply because people belong to that organization. Now, I'm not saying that that movement and the, that party did not commit violent acts. Yes. And by the way, 19 people arrested for the gunshot of two policemen and they're still in jail. Some of them died in jail. But their question is really interesting to me. Their question is, why were these organizations infiltrated by FBI's? Why were they watched? Why were they, you know, what was it about those organizations, those political organizations? What did we do then that we could have done now? I don't have an answer. Oh, that's the million dollar question. I don't, I don't have an answer. I mean. But my husband's a history teacher and I've actually been talking to him quite a bit about the cycles of history um, because he's, he knows about them and can illustrate them for me in ways that I'm not you know, aware of. And really the idea of history repeating itself, cycles in history. And unless we learn from it, we are destined to repeat the same lessons. And I think a lot of reasons why things come up that look similar in somewhat different fashion now is because we haven't resolved the conversation. We haven't come no. to a reckoning. And then those things still exist. And honestly, I'd like to just, for my own personal opinion, if someone can't take a knee as a non is a nonviolent protest, right? Someone can't be in their house where they're asleep. Someone can't go on a jog in our country and someone can't go out of a store with potentially a $20 fake counterfeit bill, potentially not even known yet, right? Without, no, no. Dying, without dying or losing their entire career. Like to me, these are non, people are doing nonviolent things with lots of violent response. And we have to think sometimes people tried to cross bridges, bridges. people tried to sit at lunch counters, right? People tried to marry interracially and, and got worse treatment. So when you think about the lessons of history, we have not learned the lesson and the seeds of racism, homophobia, and anything else that you could think of have been sown so long ago, right? And I feel like someone recently in a news article said that this happened slow and fast, like what happened in the Capitol. And, and I feel like that's such a good way to think about it. This happened slow. Like the seeds have been sown, the weeds have been watered, right? And then we get to this place with some amount of pacifying in between. But I really do think when you boil a lot of this down, we have not had the hard conversations. We have not had the reckoning and we've not created space for 
other people than white people to share their narrative, right? To have positions of power, to share the stage in ways that help different voices rise up so we can understand their experiences, but also have different policies in place so we stop behaviors. So I think there's two parts there. And I realize me saying this as a white woman, like it's hard, but then you have to say, what's your role in allyship, right? When do you speak about what matters to you? Um, and it's interesting because one of my colleagues said, you know, if you talk about this stuff on the radio, some people are going to be upset or in your column or in your newsletter. And I was like, you have to speak up. Like, when do we become silent about things that matter? You know, that there's that quote about like, that's when we start to die because this matters. And I think forcing conversations now that are difficult, but doing it with empathy, compassion, and love and looking for a really healthy debate and and a good dialogue and respect will, will help us from repeating this. This is a crisis moment. And my goal in conversations like this is, how can we how can we have real conversations and and stop right and in an attempt to to take our take us at first as people and our country in different directions positive hopeful unified beautiful collective direction you know i love what we're talking about because i think that that is one of the highest um ideals we have yet at the same time I don't think you see people really believing it could happen. And there might be a few things that has to happen first. First of all, um, you can't bring people together that don't want to come together. We know this. We know this. Um, can you create a forum for them to come together? You absolutely can. You know, when we were in the corporate world, we started one of the first internal groups for different people. Right. You know, could you get people to come to the LGBT? They weren't even the queue yet. Could you get them to come to an LGBTQ lunch? Could you get the executives to come? No. Had to he have like a little incentive from the executives of the company I work for. And I got to tell you what they did was brilliant and it worked. I don't say I kind of laugh at it now. But I, I think about Bob, I think about one of the vice presidents, and after years of trying to do things, the right things, could not get his team to do it. And he finally did something that got people to take action and show up at these groups. And what happened when they did, what happened when they did, this brings tears to my eyes to this day. When people came together, and we did it in creative ways. Like we had a festival where all the different groups from different cultures cooked food. It was a requirement for the executives and the managers to go. Mm -hmm. The result was a totally new understanding of culture. And people started to create groups and go to each other's homes and cook and understand who the other person was. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about what each and every one of us can do. But the consequence to what we're talking about, and I'd love for you to talk about this from an emotional intelligence perspective, and I'm going to talk about it from a psychological contract perspective. How do we convince people of the truth? Smart people, 
people from all walks of life. How do we talk to people and say, what would it take for you to believe that this election wasn't a fraud? What would it take? What could we sit down and show you? What could we say? Where could we meet at common ground? What could be improved for next time to make you feel secure in our democracy? See, because if we don't say something like that, instead of just saying it's not false, it didn't cheat, we counted all the votes. Where is it that people feel our country is not serving them? When we come back, we'll talk about that and talk about how to help your family, your friends, how to help you go through the days to come. And I'll also share who said this quote, the greatest threat to the internal security of the country is this group. The party, the greatest threat to the internal security of the country. I'll share who said that and why. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. My very special, amazing person. I can't wait to hear what she is going to suggest and recommend to all of us. We'll be right back. Tune in to The Truth is Funny with Colette Stephan each Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show will have you thinking outside the box and riding the wave of infinite potential. Join Colette on the Higher Self Network, inspiring listeners to shine their brilliance and ensure success while roaring with laughter as they recognize the humor of the giant cosmic joke. Visit TheTruthIsFunny.com. Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Stop circling around difficult issues and find out what's been holding you back. Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy Obear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy Obear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. Tune in to the show Heart Change Consciousness with me, Dr. Trish DeRocher, as stories of inspired activism come to life. Listening to conversations with your favorite authors, changemakers, and many more who practice inspired spiritual activism and transform vulnerabilities into sources of strength. Let's be inspired together through my show Heart Change Consciousness on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Transition, simultaneously the most difficult and vital part of the human experience. Without change, how would we grow? Tune in to Grounding Into Your Radiance with Stacey Barber every second and fourth Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Step into your truth and allow the light into your life. For more information about Stacy and her services, visit stacybarber.com. That's Stacy S T A C I E barber.com. It's time to get your life back on Burn Bright Today with Jennifer Marcinelli. Tune in each month on transformationtalkradio.com. Learn to move from the darkness of burning out to the light of burning bright. Jennifer is redefining stress and the energetic causes of burnout, shining a light on process to get your life back. For more information about Jennifer and her work, visit BurnBrightToday.com. Benny, 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 yeah, yeah. is that the Jimmy? 
Is that the Jimmy? Chamber Brothers. Uh, however, oh, very Chamber close. Brothers. Similar to the 60s that you're uh, very familiar with. So, yes. I'm very, thank you, Benny. Well, very hey, I'm, you've thank mentioned you. it before. Don't put that back I on me. <laughs> I did. No, thank you. Very familiar with the 60s. Boy, I had a flashback, too, by the way. Well, I wasn't going to go um, there, but. I <laughs> had a flashback. I had a flashback. Yeah, not feeling like I like that tear gas. Just that ain't a fun thing. Um, Carrie Knudsen joining me here today. She is the ambassador for emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is the way that we can understand where we are at different scales of emotions. Also, if we understand that, perhaps we can get to the truth. Perhaps we can understand, you know, why some people believe that one statement is true and another one is not. But in the end, we are one of the most incredible species on the planet. We have so much we can do. We're so capable of so much more. And I love the comedy of things, Carrie, before we get into the severity of things. I love the comedy of things. I actually liked waking up today to see the number one controversy coming out of the White House, had to do with what Kamala Harris was wearing on the cover of Vogue. Only in America. <laughs> well, I laughed at that too, because I saw that this morning, I thought, didn't we just have a domestic terrorism attack on the Capitol? And now we're talking about a Vogue cover that's not presidential enough, or whatever they said. I didn't read the whole thing yet. I, I just saw it. And another suit, and she looked really good, but they decided to put her on there. I And, and please, people, do not put down Converse sneakers. I actually dug out my red pair. But this isn't this interesting. Only in America can we have the horrific acts and then wake up in the morning and weigh in on whether or not Vogue should have put that on. Well, and on a woman's outfit of all things. When's the last time we contacted, we con commented on a man's outfit? A man could wear the same suit and tie forever. And we comment on it, who designed the woman's suit or the, the dress, what shoes she's wearing. Like, really, when we think about, we comment on her size, what her hair looks like. And in that disparity, it's so interesting to me to think about what if we did the same thing with men? Like, what if we, if the same playing field were like, everything they wore was a statement to be potentially criticized. Wouldn't that be ironic and ridiculous? I know if I'm using that word, wouldn't that be ridiculous? Like the comedy of things, right? If we reverse it. So yeah, I think I agree with you on that, Dr. Pat. Like, I, I'll tell you, this is just me. I smiled because if I were her and that were me, I'd be all over those sneakers. So, but it, it, it's interesting. Here we come off the heels of one of the most egregious acts, not just in the United States, by the way, may I say this, in the world. I don't know if we understand that as Americans, that this is just not the United States, but the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. But here's my question for you. Oh, let me answer. Let me answer the question that I put. The greatest threat to internal security of the country, who was that by? That was by, in 1969, I remember this because that was Woodstock. That was also Stonewall. Wow, 69, I wonder what the planets were lined up as. Federal Bureau of Investigation, Investigation that's FBI Director J. Edgar, as we know him, J. Edgar Hoover, for those of you that want to Google him, described the Black Panther Party as the greatest threat to internal security of the country. He developed and supervised extensive counterintelligence program called it has a name, Carrie. Cointel Pro. 
honest to God. Surveillance, infiltration, perjury, police harassment, uh, police harassment, because that's what they did when they thought they were internal terrorists in our country. But this was a black group. Now, help, first of all, how do people find out more about you? And then I want to know, please help us today. Sure, sure. Well, do you find out about me? I'm Carrie Knutson. My company is called Knutson Speaks. It's K-N-U-T-S-O-N, a good Norwegian name, Knutson Speaks. And um, on my website, I do presentations now all virtually. I used to travel over the country. Now I do them virtually, um, virtual, and I do coaching for people who want to work on their emotional intelligence. And I also have a one woman show that when we go back to live performances, it's a storytelling and performance show. Um, And I really, my whole idea of my business, the reason I called it Knutson Speaks was as a therapist, I wanted to take psychology off the couch, out of my individual office and bring it out and speak about it, talk about it, connect with people um, and do it through um, not using any psychobabble or, or like big um, terms that people can't access or make you feel like you have to have a problem um, some way to benefit from psychology and from therapy. Um, it's also to encourage people to think about emotions in their real lives and the benefit of our mental well-being and health. So everything that I do is connected to that in some way. If I'm speaking, performing, blogging, um, presenting, whatever it is, it's, it's all connected to that bigger idea. And in terms of solutions, one of the things I wanted to talk about today was, so when we're thinking about emotional intelligence, it's how we like really express, optimize the expression of our emotions, like in healthy ways. And one of the things that I wanted to address before I even get into that, though, is this idea of truth, because when you think about what you know is the truth, you always think you know what the truth is. And the truth is, we can't know the truth, right? Like I can know my own truth and you know your truth. But when you say the truth, it's very hard sometimes for people to come up with that concept because um, we see things the way we are, not as they are. That's a quote. And I can't think of the person who said it, but I love that quote. Maybe Benny can help me look it up. We see things as they are, not as we are. Right. And our perception, perception of things, um, the way things get impacted, like in our brains, like what we care about, what we don't, what we listen to, uh, what we engage in. And our version of truth kind of is compiled over time. So I think the first thing to reconcile in this thing is you can only know your truth. And when you're trying to say to someone, hey, seems like you have different truths. Right. How do you engage people in a conversation? Right, a dialogue that helps you understand their truth. Because when you're saying like, you're wrong, come along with me, I know my truth. The thing is people resist it. Like, I know what you should do. When everyone says that to me, I'm like, you don't know me. You don't know what I should do. You know, and like we resist that because I know me and I know what's right for me. You didn't mean to say that. You don't really feel that way. You know, and you, don't you feel that like, I, you don't tell me how I feel, <laughs> right? And so I think before we even get into what to do, understanding our own truth as opposed to other people how do they get their truth and i'll just share a quick story when i went to grad school i had never heard this term before but somebody said to me oh colorado was part of the war of northern aggression and i said i've never heard of that war (laughs) and i had to be like so they were referring to the civil war And then I was like, well, then I looked it up because I'm like, was Colorado even a state in the Civil War? I had to look it up. So in my my upbringing from 
birth to when I went to grad school at like 20 something, I had never heard of the war of Northern aggression. Right. And I remember thinking when someone said that to me, I'm like, but it was their truth. And the way they, the way we choose to use our vocabulary. Right. Yeah. Someone is a protester versus a rioter versus a domestic terrorist. Right. And I yeah. think like the words we use are important. So the war of Northern aggression, like made me giggle a bit. Cause I'm like, Oh, I haven't heard of that. Tell me more. <laughs> right. And, but it was the way somebody's truth is very much enmeshed in that through their upbringing, through their education, through whatever's been reinforced. Right. And I'll say one more thing about truth. We seek out things that help us um, affirm our own opinions, right? It's a confirmation bias. So if I think that it's that chocolate should be good for me, especially dark chocolate and lots of it, if I hear a news report that says new new research shows dark chocolate is good for you, I'm gonna be like, heck yeah. <laughs> and then if I hear a report that says dark chocolate is not good, I'm going to dismiss that because of my confirmation bias. I want it to be true, right? Because it goes along with how I feel about my life. So when we're asking people, what can we do? How can we change? We have to cognizantly and consciously start to think, what is my truth? How did I get here? Where am I getting my sources from? What are other people's truths and why do they feel that way? Who owns the truth? Just, just me, my own truth, doesn't mean everyone. And then how can I look at my confirmation biases to stop only getting information that I want to hear, right? <laughs> and, and I think those two things are really kind of the setup for what's next. What I want to talk about next is then like, all right, once we got that under control, then then what do we do with it? Um, so what I want to say next is this idea of um, when we hear things or see things in our environment, we respond to them sometimes as triggers. And so seeing what we've seen with the pandemic, with the Black Lives Matter movement, with anything can trigger things in us, right? That, that our emotions from other experiences, right? And a lot of times we find out this when we talk about the death of someone, like oh, someone died, we often think about that person, but we think about our most recent experience with death and it triggers, it triggers that, um, those emotions, right? That's just a simple example of, of things that happen. Or even in this holiday season, a lot of us got triggered by what we used to do, hearing a song for the holidays. Yeah. And if we celebrate Christmas, and you can't go home for Christmas, you're triggered by all those emotions. So like those yeah. kind of things come up. So a trigger happens. And what you have to figure out is like, am I feeding my triggers? Right? Am I constantly checking my newsfeed to get triggered again by anger, by sadness, by overwhelm, by visceral responses to people that I want to unfriend and delete. And, and I feel like sometimes, you know, those shows Oh God, I have to think of one. Like when you got voted off the island and people said, I didn't come here to make friends. Oh yeah. What is that survivor? Benny, Benny, I think, right. Survivor. Right. Yeah. How many people said I didn't come here to make friends. I came here to win. No kidding. Exactly. Same thing with all any of the reality shows, really. You know, I think the the kindest, fairest of all of those is the amazing race, Right. You know, you, you do get a little bit of, you know, snarky stuff, but in general, yeah, it doesn't work for that show. But, you know, here you are talking about uh, conversations, and I think that we're experiencing something that is a repeat in history. I think we're experiencing, and there are groups out there, they're trying to help fix this, right? Um, we're experiencing people being afraid to speak because they're afraid of not being politically correct. You know, they're afraid of saying um, uh, uh, the word black. They're afraid of saying a word 
you know, that may not be politically correct when they talk about people from the LGBTQ community or from the Latino community, right? They may be worried about, do I say that? How do I say it? How do I become part of the conversation? And so we have to really move beyond that. And there are some groups now saying, what is the one television show that's come, that has come out that says, look, it's okay. It's okay. You know, my first trip to Hawaii, I was shocked. You know, I, I mean, I was shocked. I got off the island and I was greeted by my friends and they called me Holly. And, you know, I had to find out what does that mean? And the way they talk to each other. And it is expression of love because they understand each other in the culture. Mm -hmm. They understand each other in the culture. Mm -hmm. And those words are not offensive to them in that way. And I thought to myself, how did, a, how did our state, Hawaii, who we literally stole from the people, Hawaiian people, how do they still have that spirit of aloha? I, I thought to myself this weekend, I wonder what we could learn from the Hawaiian culture and people. That's what I thought about. <laughs> oh, I love it. I thought you were going to do a whole show called The Spirit of Aloha, and we're all going to learn about it, right? But what well, you're saying is vital. Like, how do we find that hope? How do we forgive and connect and understand and then find ways to move forward? And how do we like engage in conversations around that that still allow people to show up right how do we how do we deal with the trauma of the past and be able to live in the present i mean those are really good questions and you could use that aloha moment as a great example and just you could put that into anything we're dealing with right now how do we do that right yeah because you know look the indigenous people of this country as well as people uh in the great state of hawaii those people lost pretty much everything. They're fighting for it. They're fighting to get their sovereignty. They're fighting to keep the Hawaiian language like a language, right? I mean, think about it. They have to fight to keep that language like a language. But there's still the spirit of aloha. I want their magic sauce, <laughs> right? I want their, maybe like, I, I'm not going to eat poi, but I want their magic sauce. I want something do you think it's possible for us to get there, uh, Carrie? And what are you most hopeful and optimistic about? Yes, because I think there's hope with humanness. And if you see through history, along with great tragedy and awful, evil things, there is always the voice of someone saying, let's build back, let's do something, let's try again, let's connect, let's build a bridge, right? And I think there's always people who come from places of like, I was wrong, or I didn't understand, or, or places where we can say, I don't know, but I'd like to learn, teach me, right? We have those voices in history come up again and again. And now what I think this, what you're talking about with the spirit of Aloha is that feeling of hope. And when you can't control everything, you can control one thing and that's you and how you show up. Cause I think sometimes people give up because like, who am I? Who am I to change everything and go out and do the world, make peace and like try to help right now. But I always say, Instead of saying, who am I? Well, who am I? I'm just Carrie Knutson standing in my house in Denver, being the therapist, what can I do, right? So to me, like, instead of saying, who am I? Ask yourself, who am I not to, right? Who am I not to? And I think those moments to be like, in my, in my sway, in my world, how can I move the world 
towards being better, right? And does that mean in my own household? I work on things in my own job and community that I do in, in my interactions with strangers, right? How do I move, push the needle forward and, and again, not give up? Because one of the things I think psychologically we do is say, I'm overwhelmed. I can't, the world's burning and I'm just lucky I have sandwich meat to make sandwiches today and peanut butter, right? Like, like we reduce it to the, the thing and then we just give up. Because again, we don't think we have a role to play, but the role we have in civility and learning how to be civil to each other, learning how to ask questions where we don't know, right? And also learning something that I, I really just thought about this recently. Understanding that just because we are next to someone doesn't mean we know their experience. And, and I say this because, yeah. so if I were to title a book that I would write one day, it's called, My Dad is Gay, My Mom was a Nun, my sister was adopted from Vietnam and I married a one-armed man. All those things are true. So I'm connected to someone who's gay, someone who was a nun and left the church. My sister was adopted from Vietnam. So I had that connection to minority relations, like adoption, all that. And then I married someone with one arm. So in our society has a disability, except for he doesn't know he has a disability because he was born that way, right? I, right. Also, I also work heavily in the deaf and hard of hearing community with people who believe that's their disability to the outside world is simply a group of people who are a linguistic minority using another language right so i have access to all this stuff and still i am not any of those things i am not gay or an ex-nun or adopted from vietnam or have one arm or am deaf i'm not so when i can walk with these people i have to understand i still am not those people i can't speak for them yeah and i can't excuse myself by saying well i have a friend who's right because I don't understand that experience and I have to check my own ego to, to the, let me hear from you. Let me learn from you. And I think that's where the hope lies is instead of retracting into our truth and what we think we know, we have to expand, right. And connect with others and let our ego take a seat. Right. And be willing, like you said, what if I don't know if I'm supposed to say Latina or Latinx or Latino? Exactly. Right. How can I find out without getting bashed down? Right. And then do I have to do the work, though? I can't go expecting everyone to do the work for me. Right. And then do I have to figure out when I'm thinking about what I say with Black Lives Matter and what we're talking about, the conversation on racism? How is my whiteness part of that without being like, but I'm a good white person? Yeah. Right? You know, like, but we want to say that we do because we, we're good people. Right. But we don't want to think of ourselves as bad. But when you, that reduces it to like a really trivial conversation. And again, your ego, your precious ego, which is you have to protect it, but you have to also be willing to put it to the side. Right? You know, it's and fascinating that you're talking about this and, and I, and, and, but this is an interesting conversation. You know, I remember sharing on air that I discovered my grandpa and other relatives, my grandpa born in Brazil. Right. So that really left me with a really interesting family lineage. Right. Mm -hmm. Which was, and believe me, I just found out about this maybe five years ago or something. And I was talking to somebody and they were asking me, like, what are you going to declare? Like, I guess you declare. I, I don't know. I guess you check a box on a paper or a census or something, right? And then they said this to me, and this really talks into what you're saying. They said, but I don't think people from Brazil, they're not that's not Latina, that they, they don't speak Spanish. <laughs> Just stop for a minute. I mean, I was dumbfounded. 
And I realized, wow, if this is part of my history and my culture, and I don't know the answer to that question, or it at least I do know the answer, but it made me stop and think. That simple comment you would believe is true. Oh, they're not really, we don't, no, they don't speak Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. And I think each of us has a responsibility to educate ourselves and educate our children. Even when the education process of learning something that we don't want to learn. Sure. And why education is so important, but also self, not only outside education, where we get it from, but like you being thoughtful, where do I get my information from? How do I be a lifelong learner? How do I ask people questions instead of expecting them to tell me? Like education, I think is beautiful. Like how do we, uh, like how do we get information mm-hmm. and then process it, right? And how do we find our truths and other mm-hmm. people's truths in the process? And Carrie, thank you for today. I love that you're bringing this conversation to the table. I can't wait to get that book you're going to write. Um, please tell folks how they can find out about you. And I'd love to know what you want to leave us with today. It's always fun. Oh, thanks, Dr. Pat. Yes, you can find me at Knutson Speaks on Facebook and Instagram and at KnutsonSpeaks.com. And um, I'm updating my virtual presentations and what I'm doing, a whole bunch of new things I'm really excited about. I've got a new website in the works. And so I'm really hopeful for myself to be putting new things out in the world. And really what I want to leave people with today is like our mental health is so important during this time and our feeling of hope like do not lose hope in your ability to change don't wait for the world to change change yourself there's like change yourself and change the world like have hope in who you are and what you can do be careful of your ego right and and find ways to move forward and connect with other people in meaningful ways and take care good good care of yourself in the process it's hard it's hard work but it's good work oh my god thank you carrie so much for bringing this conversation to the table. I know the body of work you do with people really helps each and every one of us understand the emotional body we carry as well as the mental body. But in the spirit of knowing that we have infinite, infinite possibilities, thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you, Dr. Pat. It's a total pleasure to be with you today. And thanks to everyone who listened. Hey, everybody, we're going to take a little short break here. And when we come back, we've got another hour coming up. And we're going to tackle one of the greatest challenges of our time. The rise in the amount of alcohol we are taking in our bodies, as well as every other numbing thing we could do. Because Carrie's right. It's really hard to face things. We'll be right back. You have been listening to Get Big Out Loud Radio, where we explore the complex, funny, and beautiful ride of life with me, Carrie Knutson, joining Dr. Pat live every second Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. I will help you to know which thoughts are keeping you small in order for you to get big. Get big and live your life out loud. For more information, visit KnutsonSpeaks.com.